This morning, we are going to be completing a three-week series on offering hope. And offering hope, giving hope, is one of our motives as a church. Uh, We believe that we exist here at this moment in the history of Copperfield Church to invite all to build hope-filled homes in Jesus. And one of the things that motivates us is being able to give hope. The first week of the series, we looked at how there is hope for change because Christ is the hope of glory. And then last week, we considered how when we look at a particular person or situation in our life, that there is no such thing as a hopeless case or a lost cause because of the power of God to work in that situation. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to conclude by looking at us. And what I mean by that is is I want to look at us as those that have been tasked to give hope to others and try to fill us with hope in light of what God's Word teaches. And so we've considered Christ as the hope of glory. We've considered others that are in need of hope. And now the fact of the matter is, is that we need hope. We need hope if we're going to persevere and continue to labor in this work that God has given us. And so if you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 21. Uh, If you don't, that's okay. There is a copy of God's Word in the seat in front of you that you're welcome to find this passage in. Uh, And also you can follow along on the screens with us. But I'm going to invite you to stand as we consider Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21 on this idea of when hope is hard. When hope is hard, Romans 8, I mean Romans 4, verses 18 through 21. This is God's word to us this morning. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. You may be seated as we go to the Lord and ask his blessing upon this study this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that is set in Abraham for us. And Lord, we pray that you would use it to fill us with hope and turn our eyes to you. We ask this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. This morning, I want us to consider the the two types of hope that are present in this passage this morning. There are two types of hope present in this passage in Romans 4. 18 through 21. There is hope from a human perspective, and there is hope from a heavenly perspective. Hope from a human perspective, and hope from a heavenly perspective. And we see this idea of hope 
from a human perspective in verses 18 through 19. And so I invite you to turn your attention back to those verses. In these verses, specifically in verse 18, it begins by saying, against all hope. What does it have in mind here? How does someone hope against hope? This idea of against all hope is the idea of hope from a human perspective. Hope from a human perspective is explained further in verse 19, which says, he faced, that's Abraham, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. From a human perspective, Abraham had little reason to have hope that God would keep his promise about making him the father of many nations. A little bit of background here. Abraham, previously called Abram, is promised by God that I am going to bless you and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And almost immediately, Abraham responds to this promise saying, how will we, me and my older wife, be able to be the father of many nations when we're not even parents. But he perseveres. Except there's this moment when Abraham thinks that, well, God told me something, but I think that in order for me to fulfill what God has told me, I'm going to have to rely upon my own human intuition. I'm going to have to use my own human effort. And Sarah, his wife, agrees And so Sarah's wife gives to Abraham her maidservant and says, look, I can't have children. Have a child with her. Maybe God intends to fulfill the promise to make us a great nation through her child. And God comes back and says, no, I promised you that you and Sarah will have a child and it's going to be through that child that you will be the father of of many nations. You know the story probably. Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac goes on to have Jacob. Jacob's name is eventually turned into Israel. Israel has 12 sons, and those 12 sons become tribes, and those tribes eventually become a nation. And through that great nation, we receive the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, as Matthew 1 tells us. But from a human perspective, it did not seem that Abraham had a whole lot of reasons to hope. I mean, you can imagine that conversation, right? They're sitting in their tent, and you're going, and you're looking at Sarah, and you're going, you know, I don't know a whole lot of hundred-year-olds that are pregnant right now. The circumstances seem to fight against the promise, right? So hope from a human perspective was very calculated. It seems like this will likely be the case based upon what we know. And maybe you're thinking, well, that seems kind of abstract. uh, Maybe that's a really supernatural case. But you can almost imagine this type of setting in our own day and age. We have a familiarity with hope from a human perspective, don't we? The doctor comes in and says, based upon the test that we have been able to perform, and based upon the vital signs of the patient, 
we are hopeful that they will make a full recovery. Now, is that the same type of hope as a heavenly hope? No, that is a calculated hope. That is a hope based on observations. If the vital signs had not been strong and the test had come back bad, the doctor would have likely come back in and given us a percentage and maybe even said something to the effect of, I don't have a lot of hope in this situation. Why? Because from a human perspective, our hope is based upon what we can perceive. And Abraham could have been tempted to have such hope. Hope from a human perspective. A calculated hope. Let me give you another example of what this might look like in the case of ministry. And so stay with me because I, I want you to hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not saying. It is often stated that only 6% of Christian adults come to faith after the age of 18. Okay, that, that, is, that is a very common observation made by social scientists, which by implication means that 94% of Christian adults came to Christ when? Before they were 18. I am not going to dispute that fact because I would assume that that fact is based upon observation, testimony, and studies. It's just it's going, look, we've talked to people in the context of the church, and most people say that they came to Christ before the age of 18, 94% of them according to Barna studies. Now, that's an observation. No problem with observations. But here's where things can get sticky and tricky. It's when we move from observation to an assumption of practice that tells us that anyone that is over the age of 18 only has a 6% chance of meeting the Lord. That's problematic. Why is that problematic? It's problematic because it's based upon a human perspective of hope. It's based upon an observation of what's around. And you say, well, why is that a problem, Pastor? Because there can be a tendency within us to look at those that may be 22, 23, that child, that grandchild, and go, oh my goodness, there's only a 6% chance that they're going to come to the Lord. The Holy Spirit does not work on the basis of human percentages. The power of God is not constrained by human observation. Many of you probably can say, well, I'm really actually glad that I was in the 6%. In fact, there's a lot of us that can say, well, I'm really glad that people did not give up on me as a result of looking at this statistic and just thinking, well, you know, based upon human perspectives of hope, we ought to just make our investment here, but boy, once they turn 19, the odds change. God is not in the business of odds. God is in the business of raising the dead to life. And so what we need to see is that while observations can be made, and Abraham made the observation, didn't he? He said, well, you know, if it's up to me, this isn't going to work. But what he did is he remembered the promise of God. 
And against human hope, he had heavenly hope, and he put his hope in the God who had spoke to him and said, I am going to make you the father of a great nation and of many nations. And in spite of the circumstances, he hoped against hope. He trusted in what God said that he would do. And he recognized that in my situation, I am not beyond the power of God to do what only he can do. If we only deal with hope from a human perspective, we will find ourselves constantly discouraged, and we will look at our children and our grandchildren and our friends and neighbors, and we will think, you know, it's just very unlikely that they will come to know Jesus. We will think about giving hope to people and start to think that there's some people that are more likely to embrace this hope. But our responsibility as sowers of hope is to sow the seed everywhere, abundantly. It's not our responsibility to determine the receptivity of the soil, but to trust the Lord of the harvest to do what only He can do. So as we are called to give hope through pointing people to Jesus, the only one that can give them forgiveness of sins and eternal life, our responsibility is to give hope generously, looking to the God of hope who is full of power and who promises to bring about a harvest in due season, which is the second part of this passage that we're going to reflect on. There is a hope that comes from a purely human perspective that's based upon calculated risk and assessments of what is observed. But there is a hope from above that looks at and knows who God is and says, in spite of what I see, I'm going to hope in God against human hope. This is hope from a heavenly perspective. In verses 20 through 21. Verses 20 through 21 capture the essence of the better way, the hope from a heavenly perspective. You see, if Abraham had only looked at the statistics, then Abraham would have said, I just don't know this is going to work out. But according to verses 20 through 21, yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Hope from a heavenly perspective remembers who God is. It's deeply theological And it is also deeply rooted in a faith, believing that God is and that God has promised and that God keeps his word. This type of hope looks to God instead of circumstances and continues to believe and trust that God is able. Hope from a heavenly perspective remembers that God has promised that his word will not 
return void. It will accomplish what he intends for it to accomplish. That's good news for sowers, isn't it? My dad, uh, who many of you know, passed away last summer. My dad was in, uh, well, I'll be honest, growing up, I didn't want to tell people what he did for a living. Uh, and I'm grateful that he changed the name of his company later on in my life. Uh, for decades, he led, he was the co-founder of a company called Northwest Louisiana Fertilizer. And there's something about telling your friends at school that your dad is in the fertilizer business that after you kind of learn what some old school versions of fertilizer are, you're like, I don't really want to tell people that. And then the mercy of Providence, God changed, uh, my dad changed the name of that business to Northwest Louisiana Plant Food, <laughs> which, which felt a lot better. I was like, oh yeah. And then eventually he would describe it as he was in bulk chemical sales, which if you tell people like that around here in Houston, they're like, oh, did he work at, you know, Dow Chemical or something like that? It's like, no, 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 it was still... It was still for commercial farming. But one of the things that I grew used to as a child was how his business in selling directly to farmers was so dependent upon the weather. And I didn't understand why at times mom and dad would say, we need to pray that it will rain and we need to pray that it will stop raining. Because there were seasons to the soil And it would be an optimal time to plant seed for cows and other livestock. And then there would be an optimal time to put the chemicals out. But if it rained too much, it would spoil the crop. Or if it didn't rain enough, the seed itself would not grow. And these farmers would not have a harvest. And when farmers do not have a harvest, chemical salesmen don't get paid. So we learned that there is this trickling relationship between what dad did and what the farmers did, and I began to have more concern for weather patterns than most 12-year-olds would have had, unless it was because you wanted to play golf or baseball or football or something outside. And this idea of seed and finding soil can at times make us fearful because we know of the unpredictability of the world that we live in. In case you're wondering, um, we have not forgotten to mow the front entrance of the church. We have intentionally stopped mowing it because we have planted wildflower seeds there. Whether they will grow we shall see. Depends on a little bit of rain and a little bit of sun and you not coming and mowing it because you're trying to figure out why we let those weeds grow in the front. You kind of have to trust us a little bit, right? But sometimes if we're not careful, we can take those experiences and then impose them upon the gospel with the same sense of hope, failing to recognize that the seed of the gospel finds its power not in the sower or our circumstances, but in the Lord of the harvest. The one who brings growth in due season. The seed of the word always accomplishes what he purposes for that seed. Our responsibility is to sow that hope, to give that hope, 
to pour that out into the world and into the lives of those that God has called us to. His word will not return void. Hope from a heavenly perspective remembers what God promised us through the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians. When he said, we will gain a harvest if we do not grow weary in doing good. It's one of the things I shared with our next-gen workers this morning. I shared with them a very abbreviated version of this message. Is that as you are laboring in the midst of second graders that will not stop talking. Or kids that never seem to pay attention or kids that are constantly disrupting, and you feel like, I'm just sowing the seed of hope into into little barren souls that don't like seed. (laughs) And maybe it's worthless. Maybe I ought to take this work and go, go to another field. God's promise is sure. We will reap a harvest if we do not grow weary in well-doing. For God is faithful. Will we believe and trust him in spite of what the circumstances around us suggest? Will we have hope from a heavenly perspective or hope from a human perspective? How happy are you that someone had hope from a heavenly perspective for you? And did not look at the likelihood of you following Jesus from a human perspective. Some of us, yes, true, were born and bred, grew up in the church. We've trusted Jesus from as early as we could say dada. But some of us did not grow up in such homes. Some of us did not know Jesus until we were in college or we were adults or we were married, maybe even grandparents. Maybe some of you came to Christ as a result of coming to church Because your grandson or your granddaughter wanted to come to church at a vacation Bible school and you heard the good news of Jesus for the first time in a real and living way and God changed your heart. That is hope from a heavenly perspective that says that God is the one that brings life, not me. And oh, praise him for his grace. If we do not grow weary in well-doing, we will reap a harvest. Heavenly hope remembers that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. We do not come to him, we do not seek him and find him disappointed. Hope from a heavenly perspective remembers that God hears our prayers and answers according to his will. Heavenly hope remembers the promise that Jesus Christ right now ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. Heavenly hope remembers that there are times when you come before the Lord in prayer and you are tore up. You don't even know what to say. And all you can do in the presence of God is groan. And the promise of Romans 8 is that even now the Holy Spirit discerns the feelings and the affections within our heart and intercedes on our behalf with groans too deep for words. Heavenly hope does not look at the circumstances and determine what God is likely to do. Heavenly hope looks to what God has promised to do and says, in spite of what I see, I will press on and believe that he is faithful. 
Abraham was fully aware of the weakness of his flesh, which is something that we need to be aware of, lest we think that we complete the work that he's called us to in our own flesh. He was fully aware of his own strength and his own wisdom, that he could not earn what had been promised to him by God. So instead of looking to himself, he looked to God. He turned his eyes upon Jesus. He trusted God. And when you say he turned his eyes upon Jesus, that seems, that seems Abraham. Read the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11. And what it meant for them to look beyond knowing what the promise of God was in the Messiah that was coming. That while he did not know in its fullness, he knew in seed form that God was going to bring about a salvation for him and his people and all that would put their trust in him. Even Old Testament saints were saved and secured by hope in what God would provide. No one has ever been saved on the basis of what they have done. They are saved on the basis of what God has done in Christ Jesus. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 11 in a few weeks, and so whet your appetite for leaving a legacy of faith and what that means. But he looked to the promise of God. He was, as Romans 4 says, fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised to do. So this is how I want to conclude. When you are faced with a decision, when you are faced with a circumstance, you have one option, which is to trust what you perceive to be the case from a human perspective. You have that person that you're praying for. And starting next week, we're going to be doing a series, a three-week day, a three week series on prayer. And one of the things that we're going to do within that series is we're going to get very specific about what we're asking God to do. Writing it down with specificity, with a humility, saying, God, I have a neighbor that really, really needs Jesus. And I am asking you to save them. It's a risk of that, isn't there? That's a little unsettling. Because let's be honest, if we could keep things a little bit more vague, then we would feel like we don't have to risk the disappointment of not getting the answer that we want in the time that we want to get it. And so what you may be tempted to do is to base your prayer list upon what you perceive to be the most likely thing on human basis. To say, well, this is probably going to happen anyway, so let's get an easy win and put that on our prayer list. Hey, pray without ceasing about all things. I'm not saying don't pray about those things. But I'm saying you have a decision to allow your perception, humanly speaking, to inform how you're going to hope. That's one perception. To look as Abraham did and say, I'm pretty much dead. Sarah's dead. I don't know how this is going to work. Or to have hope from a heavenly perspective, to hope against human hope and say God is powerful enough to do what he's promised to do, that he is faithful, that this is not depending upon my strength, my power, but upon his strength, his power, his willingness, his kindness, his grace, his mercy, his love. The two decisions that we have, one is to live 
with a hope that's based upon what we perceive in the here and now, or secondly, the better option, the Abrahamic option, is to set our affection upon the one who is faithful and powerful and to trust him to do exceedingly more abundantly anything beyond what we can ask, think, or imagine. Does that characterize the way that we give hope to others, how we pray? Do you set your intentions upon people to share the hope with them and say, I know that they hate the gospel, but God can do above and beyond anything I can ask, think, or even imagine. I can't even imagine how powerful God could be in this situation. Or do we allow what we perceive to inform the way that we live? And thus rob God of the glory of fulfilling the promises. He is going to fulfill his promises. Will will we join him in trusting him? Will we remember God and his power to to accomplish his purposes, even in circumstances that do not seem favorable to us from a human perspective? Will we make obedience to God a matter of a calculated risk. Where we say, I'm going to obey up to this point because I think that that's safe. Or will we say, I am safest when I am in the will of God, trusting him, and I don't have to know how things are going to turn out to take one more step of faith in following him? Will we hope from a heavenly perspective or a human perspective, will we trust him to do even more than we can imagine? My word for you this morning is do not lose hope in giving hope. That friend, that neighbor, that loved one, that family member, that husband, that wife, that son, that daughter, that niece, that nephew, that grandson, that granddaughter, the one that has seemed so cold and hard toward hope for so long, that parent, that aging parent, that aging parent that right now is struggling with dementia. And you feel like, no, it's just it's too late. It's just it's, it's too far gone. I missed my window. Oh no, they turned 19. Will we allow those things to direct us? Or will we remember the God who keeps his promises? the one who does not let his word return void? Will we remember the one who is faithful, the Christ who is powerful, who is powerful enough to save you, which was a miracle, because in saving you, he raised the dead. And if he can raise you from the dead, he can raise anyone from the dead that the power of the gospel 
Let that fill you up with hope today that you might leave today full of confidence in the God who keeps his promise. That you might leave and hope against human hope to give hope to others. Would you pray with me? Actually, no. Don't pray with me. I have one more thing I want to share that I just remembered. I, this last week, I, I was on a, um, I, I'm in a, I'm in a group, of, a fellows group with um, an organization called Center for Christianity in Public Life. And I've done things like this before. And typically these things assume the Christian part and focus all on public life, which is related to public policy and things like that from a Christian perspective. So I was a little skeptical. I went up to Middleburg, Virginia, and it was a week. It was a week's time, and I really did. I thought, okay, great, we're going to have a devotional the first night, and then we're going to pull out the maps, charts, and graphs, and we're going to start talking about policy. At least that's what we do with these things. And then we didn't. We had prayer time and time in solitude and time in worship. And then the next morning we woke up and had more time in the Word, met with mentors, and every bit of it was around spiritual formation. And I had to confess on Friday as we got ready to leave, I said, I had a lot of different notions about this before I got here. I figured we were going to focus all on policy and assume the Christian part of it. And in fact, we didn't talk policy at all. We focused entirely upon the formation of the Christian person. And I said, I was pleasantly surprised. I said, I plan to come back to the next meeting. (laughs) They jokingly said, well, you can come back. I really didn't know if I'd go in June. I'm not really interested in the policy thing. It's not, not my thing. But while we were there, we were focusing upon reflecting upon who God is and just spending time slowing down with him. And we ended the week, um, a a worship group from the D.C. area came in and they led us in four songs of worship. And I I mean, I've, I've had this sermon planned for weeks. And so one of the songs that we sang together was the one I'm fixing to share with you. And I thought about singing it, but I couldn't get that all together fast enough. And uh, I'd rather you go find it on Spotify or Apple Music, wherever you listen to music and listen to somebody that's actually a singer sing it. But this captures so much what I want to try to convey. And then we're going to pray. So the name of the song is Your Labor is Not in Vain. And it is a song that is sung from the perspective of God to servants. So I want you to hear these words as we close. Your labor is not in vain, though the ground beneath you is cursed and stained. Your planting and reaping are never the same, but your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not unknown, though the rocks they cry out and the sea it may groan. The place of your toil may not seem like home, but your labor is not unknown. The vineyards you plant will bear fruit. 
the fields will sing out and will rejoice with the truth. For all that is old will at last be made new. The vineyards you plant will bear fruit. And then here's the refrain sung from the perspective of God. For I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. For I have called you. Called you by name. Your labor is not in vain. Now we can pray. If our prayer leaders would like to make their way to the front. Father, we rejoice in the promises that we have in you. We rejoice and we bless you, Lord. Lord, and we ask that you would fill us this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you came in so empty. Wondering if there was anything that could fill the void that you experience. The same God that was faithful to Abraham. His promise to be faithful to you. If you are in Jesus Christ, if you have trusted in him, if you have turned away from the other gods and the other sources of hope in this world, as Jeremiah would say, the broken cisterns that will not hold water, and you have turned to the everlasting, ever-flowing stream of the water of life, God promises that he will not forsake you or abandon you. In spite of what you are feeling this morning, weary parents that are here this morning, pouring themselves out week after week, not seeing fruit, hard marriages, hard work relationships, difficult circumstances where you have certain longings and desires but they're just not coming to fruition. Prayers that seem to go unanswered. He is with you. He is with you. He has called you by name. And your labor is not in vain. God, do a work by your spirit in the hearts of your people that are here. But Lord, I would ask that as seeds of hope have been sowed, Lord, into the soil of the hearts of those that are here, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that has not yet received Christ, that it's embraced Christ, I pray, Lord, that right now you would cause that seed to bear fruit and that they they would come to know you and love you. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're recognizing for the first time ever that you have never put your hope and your trust in Jesus. Right now, right here, where we are, I'm calling upon you to embrace 
this Christ, this one who died in your place and who was raised for your justification and who now is in heaven interceding on your behalf, inviting you, calling you, entreating you, through me begging you to come home and be forgiven and receive eternal life, which is promised to all who put their trust in Jesus. A promise that he will keep, a promise that he will fulfill. Maybe that's you this morning. Our prayer leaders would love to pray with you. And if you're not comfortable right where you're at, you can pray and say, Lord God, would you have mercy upon me? Forgive me, save me, give me hope. In Jesus, if that's your prayer and you have called upon him sincerely, I believe he answers everyone that calls upon him and you are saved. And we would love to help you take the next step of following Jesus. You can do that by coming to a prayer leader, meeting us at the table in the back with Pastor Tony, or texting us the information on the screen. Wherever you find yourself today, a Christian needing to be filled up with the hope that only comes from God or someone that has never known Christ but for the first time is experiencing hope today. Lord, would you do the work? We plant, we water, you give the increase. Lord, would you bring an increase of hope here for your glory and the good of your people? grant us to hope against hope. A human hope that does not know how great and how powerful you are. We ask that you would do this in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus Christ. As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com. We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equipped for Good. Thanks for listening.